Well, when I was in my final year of high school, we studied uh, the poet T.S. Eliot. I don't know that you guys did poetry in high school. That's what I did at my school. And one of uh, T.S. Eliot's poems is called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Does anyone know this poem? Okay, I will. Um, anyway, it's a poem about an old man reflecting on his life. And one of the lines has always stuck in my mind. There will be time, there will be time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. There will be time, there will be time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. It's true of our experience of life, isn't it? That the face we present to others is not all of who we are. Especially if you've been doing Zoom calls and you put on the background filter, maybe the airbrush as well, one of those funny little face things, you know, a cat or something. Um, you, I don't know if you guys saw that, uh, that, that judge in like a case. They were in the States. He, they were trying this case. And um, uh, the judge couldn't get the Zoom filter, which had like this really kind of funny cat um, ears and stuff. He, he's, he's on Zoom. They're all in lockdown. He's trying a case. He can't get the filter off. Anyway, um, so we prepare a face to meet the faces that we meet. How much do we really know of others? How much do you really know of yourself? This is the last in our series on the Lord's Prayer. We've seen that in prayer, we are invited to come into the very presence of God. And we're invited to do that because through Jesus, we are adopted as God's children. Jesus teaches us first to lift our eyes to God, to seek his glory, his kingdom, his will. These prayers reorient our hearts and place God on the throne. And only then do we come to ourselves to ask for our physical and spiritual needs, our daily bread and the forgiveness of sins. And so today we come to this final petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this prayer points to two truths, that life is fragile and under threat, and that we must pay attention to our inner lives, our inner world. Before we come to those, a word on the phrasing of that first clause, lead us not into temptation. At the New Revised Standard Version translates that phrase as save us from the time of trial. And you may hear some Christians using this translation when they recite the prayer. So what's going on here? Which one is it? Save us from the time of trial or lead us not into temptation? Of all the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, save us from the time of trial, well, it certainly seems perhaps the most appropriate in a time of global pandemic. The word for trial and the word for temptation, they're actually exactly the same in the Greek. Trial suggests an external threat, whereas temptation suggests a more kind of subtle 
inner psychological challenge. So translating the phrase as save us from the time of trial highlights our need for God's protection in all circumstances against whatever threats come our way. And we kind of we miss that in the, uh, that aspect of the original Greek in the traditional English translation, lead us not into temptation. But for my money, the traditional lead us not into temptation, it still fits the grammar of the sentence and the broader theology of the New Testament a lot better. And what's more, we kind of have the second clause to the external threat. Anyway, there's just a little bit for you. In his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, the 16th century theologian John Calvin puts things helpfully. Temptations come to us from the right and from the left. On the right are riches, power and honours which blind us by their seeming goodness and tempt us to forget God. From the left come poverty, disgrace, contempt and afflictions, Calvin writes. And these tempt us to despair, to lose hope, become estranged from God in anger. These external circumstances of both prosperity and adversity bring with them their own temptations. Calvin points to our inordinate desires. That's what the Apostle John calls the lusts of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. What's meant by these is when our our natural and good human desires, they kind of go into overdrive. We don't want the gifts of God's creation in their right place. We want them too much. We want them more than God. And we're not prepared to listen when God tells us how to enjoy them. External trials of circumstances become temptations because they pull on those deep desires of our hearts. And that's why the prayer is an invitation for us to examine our inner world, our inner life, our desires and motivations, our hearts. We do so from the safety of being loved children of God. We're accepted by God not because we've got everything sorted out on the outside, let alone on the inside, but because of the forgiveness that Jesus' death brings. And so in prayer, we can examine our hearts before God and ask him by the power of the Holy Spirit to reorder our desires so that they may align with his will. On the other hand, lead us not into temptation raises the question, is this what normally God is in the business of doing, leading us into temptation? Does God tempt people? James 1 verse 13 says, God does not tempt anyone. Taken with the second half of the petition, deliver us from evil, this brings us to another spiritual reality, that we face danger 
not only from within, not only from kind of the world around us as it pulls on our desires, but also out there we have an enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we read, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus himself spoke of the devil as a murderer, the father of lies, who wants to kill and destroy the Satan, or the accuser, that's what Satan means, the strong man who he had come to bind up, to free those held in his power. I have to say, in Western culture, we kind of tend to ignore the spiritual world, uh, but a bunch of you are not from Western culture. You're perhaps a lot more aware of it, maybe more familiar with the spiritual world. The danger is that we'll ignore it or we'll think it's safe to play around with. The truth, at least according to Jesus, is that the spiritual world is real. There is a great enemy the evil one and his forces who are opposed to God and would entice us and deceive us and enslave us and ultimately destroy us. But Christ has come to destroy the devil's work and to free us from his power. In Hebrews we read, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The cross is Jesus' great victory over Satan and the powers of darkness. And yet while we wait for the day of Jesus' return, when he will bring a final end to evil, we still face the trials, suffering and difficulty. The devil still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to use the Apostle Peter's phrase. It's a normal part of life, actually. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, Paul writes. And what's more, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always provide a way out. Jesus shows us how we can face trials of life and the temptations that they bring. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one 
who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In the wilderness, Jesus answered each temptation of the devil by quoting scripture. The word of God, as we heard from the Apostle Paul, is the sword we wield against our accuser. You can follow Jesus' temptations there in Matthew chapter 4. The first temptation, turn these stones into bread, is a temptation for Jesus to use his power for his own good to satisfy his own desires rather than to serve God. Instead, Jesus trusts that God will provide for his deepest needs. What does he say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the second temptation, as Matthew records it, Satan seeks to beat Jesus at his own game. If Jesus is going to quote scripture, well, Satan will quote it right back. He says, he asked Jesus to make a great leap of faith. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is, if you like, the temptation of religion to make God serve you by means of your own piety, to make him subject to the greatness of your faith. But Jesus instead responds with humility and obedience. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The third temptation is a challenge to Jesus' identity and calling. Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen king. His calling is to rule over all the kingdoms of this world. But his crown is a crown of thorns. It is only through obedience and suffering that he will be exalted to glory. And so what does Satan tempt him with? The easy path. All this I'll give you. All the kingdoms of this world, if only you'll bow down and worship me. Again, Jesus answers with scripture, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
in both prosperity and especially in trials, we too are tempted to not trust God, to manipulate Him, even by our own faith, to put Him to the test. We too are tempted to choose the easy path and avoid the road that leads to suffering. But Jesus has gone before us. He intercedes on our behalf at the Father's right hand. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because... Well, quite frankly, we know our own weakness. We ask for his help and the power of the Holy Spirit to follow his example and walk in the way of the cross. And as we do that, you know what? We will shine like stars in the night sky. And we remember Jesus' words. Surely surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen. Just to kind of finish, I'm going to read you another prayer from one of the saints of old. And uh, this is uh, the prayer from, uh, for grace from the Anglican service of morning prayer. So this is what you're meant to say in the morning. There's one for the evening, but you know we've still got a bit of the day left, I suppose. So let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, We thank you for bringing us safely to this day. Keep us by your mighty power and grant that we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but lead and govern us in all things that we may always do what is righteous in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.